What a beautiful passage, right? The title of the message is The Transforming Power of God in Christ. The Transforming Power of God in Christ. There are many great displays of God's power in this world. First and foremost in my mind comes the creative power of God. We are in the section in Ephesians chapter 2, that has already been introduced in chapter 1, saying that Paul prays that they will know the power of God towards them. And so now Paul is developing the power of God towards them in Christ. He started with the power of God on display in Christ and the resurrection of Christ, and then turns to the power of God on display in the individual believer in Christ. But the power that we see in this world and the ones that often, the, the display that comes to my mind initially, at least at first, is the artistry and power of the Creator. He is a mighty God, isn't He? He created the earth and the sun and the stars and made it all, and He made the earth, the moon, and the, and the sun exactly at the right distance from them each other so that there could be life on the earth. God is a masterful and powerful creator. He also made the land and the vegetation and the water and the beauty of what we see as we look at this creation, waterfalls and luscious forests and all the amazing things of God's creation. We can't walk around in this world and not see the glory and power of our God on display, right? He has made trillions and, or billions and billions of stars and knows the exact location of them. And they talk about it being millions of light years apart, but God establishing those in His providence and in His sovereign power and making the light beam at the same time when He created it. When he made it all in six days, God is showing his glory through his power and in the creation. He also made amazing sea creatures for the fishermen. This is one of the things I just love to do. I love to go fishing because every time I go fishing, it seems like, especially in the ocean, you see a new creature, (laughs) a new fish. And God's amazing display of his glory, the, the, the pictures, the glory, the color and the diversity and the beauty of it. And then he made animals. Look at these animals, man. As I was looking through some of these pictures, man, God is a masterful artist, isn't he? He creates with great power and glory and beauty. There's Brenda's favorite, the sloth. A beautiful display of his power and majesty and glory. What a God that would create all of this and make all of this by speaking it into existence. What a God, right? He is a powerful and mighty God, but then there's the pinnacle of God's creation, which is what? Humanity. And as you look around, I I wish y'all could see what I see. It's just beauty, beauty, beauty. 
What an amazing God. What a great creator. That he could make such diversity and such beauty in all of these people. You can't spend 15 minutes looking at the kids in our church and not go, Wow, God, you are amazing. Every time they get up and sing, right? What a God. That he created all of these humans and he made them all to come through Adam and Eve, come from Adam and Eve. He made two a couple that all of the human race would come through. And in, in all that, he created Adam and Eve with the ability to have all of these, the knowledge and the wisdom and all that's inside their DNA to create all this diversity. What a God! Wow! He's amazing. The power of God is on display And everyone says, Amen. Way to go, God. You are powerful. You are good. But there's a display of the power of God that is even more stunning than all of this. It's a power that is shaping the world, that's changing the world, it's transforming the world, and it's doing something that is shocking. It is the power of God in Christ. It's what He's doing through Christ Jesus. See, the triune God displayed His glorious power when He sent the Son into the world. The Son came into the world to save sinners from their just judgment. The Son became a man. God became a man. That's power. That's glory. He lived a righteous life. Then He died on a cross. This was the place that God, the Father, judged the Son for the sins of His children. What a glorious display of His power. The Son died and the Son was placed in a grave and the Son was there for three days and then by the amazing power of God He rose Christ from the dead bodily and He is alive. That's power, beloved. And not only did He raise Him from the dead, He also seated Him in heavenly places. He ascended to heaven. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father in the authority position. This is the power of God on display. Jesus revealed Himself to His followers and then ascended to heaven and is at the rightful place of authority in heaven. And God's power is now being displayed in and through Christ as He rules and reigns and saves people for Himself and makes His church. What a powerful God! We saw the overview of it last week. How God, through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Son of God, began to build His church, His body, the fullness of His glory, who fills and controls all in all. This power of God is something we all need to understand. That's why Paul had prayed, I pray that you understand this power of God. For if you understand this power of God, it will have transforming effects on your life. You need to understand this power. This power is directed towards us who believe, His followers. This power is actively working in and through God's children. 
And the greatest display of that is how he is working in his church to in his son through his son to build his church. From this great display of God's power, there's an ongoing encore of glory, is what we're going to call this. The encore of glory of God's power on display as he works in and through his people and individuals to transform them. Notice the first word of your passage today, of our passage today. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, maybe your translation doesn't have that and, but that and is extremely important if it's not there. And you were dead. Why is the and there? It's to show the connection of the power of the of God working in Christ and and how it works in individuals. And how God's power is on display in each individual believer. We will see this as we go along. This is all happening in Christ's realm, his rulership, his lordship. God is powerfully transforming sinners into saints. He's making totally depraved sinners into spirit-led saints. He's transforming unworthy sinners by His grace. We see the effect of God's great power every time a sinner turns to Jesus. Christ saves them from their sinful condition. To be saved means to be delivered from the power and the penalty of sin. It's not that you just are delivered from the punishment you deserve. It's also that you are delivered from the power of sin and its controlling effects on your life. That God can save people that are in bondage to sin. We can be delivered and be set free to walk with God and enjoy Him. Today's passage reveals reveals this transforming power of God in Christ to save individual sinners. By the way, beloved, if you if you think that a salvation does not include sanctification, that it, it it means that you can continue to just live however you are, you just need to affirm some facts and you're, there's no real change, you're actually blaspheming the holy God. And you're saying that the power of God is not able to transform lives. Beloved, there's a lot of Christians out there that go that way. A lot of professing Christians that say that God can't change people. And I disagree because the Word of God is very clear in this passage that we can be saved, delivered from both the power and the penalty of sin. You see it in this passage. Because today we're going to see the transforming power of God in Christ to save individual sinners. The power of God in Christ to save individual sinners. This transforming work of God is His mighty strength on display as we saw back in Ephesians chapter 1. And it should cause all of us to worship Him, right? Let me explain something, beloved. If you understand these verses, this section, you will worship God, I promise. And if you really... If you're worshiping Him, your worship will be displayed in one of the greatest displays of worship, obedience to Him. Enjoying Him. Obeying not in drudgery, but with joy. Knowing God and serving Him and pursuing Him. 
is possible. How? Because the power of God has set us free. And we're no longer in bondage to sin. And we can follow Christ. For He is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Got ahead of myself. But it's that power that produces worship, right? This is not just religious talk. This is reality for the believer. (laughs) We are alive in Christ. And all God's people say, we're alive. We're no longer dead in sin. God is a transforming, powerful God. Praise Him. So I want to walk down through this passage. I kind of want to give you an overview first. A big picture look at it. Because it's very interesting. If, if you track down through the passage, you might not see some of these connectors that are very important. So there's some key words I want you to notate in the whole passage. Some key words. So looking at your Bible, make sure you have your Bible there and you're looking. It'll be up on the screen, but you can maybe even mark your own Bible so you'll see these connectors. These connectors. Notice that I highlighted some key words. Here are the key words and they're, they're especially important verbs in the passage. They're verbs that talk about the state or the condition that a person is in. We see it and it starts with, and you were dead in your trespasses. Now, it was the state. It's a state. It's a condition. You were. And notice further down again it says, and were by nature children of wrath. The were being what? A a, a previous state. A previous condition. But then notice in verse 5 it shifts. And after saying you were made alive, he makes this phrase and, and, and Paul gets ahead of himself and says, By grace you have been saved. Before he even finishes the passage, before coming back to it back in in verse 8. But the have been saved has one of those stative verbs before it. And it's connected with another verb. And it has this idea of you have in the past been saved, delivered. And it has this ongoing effect in your life. And it's very important that you understand that you have been saved and the ongoing effect is you are saved. You are saved. Your new state is delivered. Delivered from what? The power and penalty of sin. You are delivered. And then notice at the very end after repeating the have been saved he says for we are His workmanship. Every believer in the room that has been transformed by God, who has been born again, you are presently, you are presently God's workmanship. 
You were children of wrath, but now you are His workmanship. And He is presently working in you. These are so important truths. It gives the big picture. Do you see the contrast to who you were and who you are? Very important. Transformation has happened. Notice also, walked. Walked. The word walked, it's interesting in the first three verses, we have walked according to the course of this world. Walked. What does walk mean? It means lived. You walked. You lived according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. But notice at the end of it, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that word is mentioned again, so that we would walk in them. What? In what? In the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. So there's a contrast. We walked according to the course of this world. Now we walk in the prepared good works of God. Difference. Contrast. Next, there's working. Oh, this is an important word. It's found throughout the book of Ephesians. Working. Now, this one's tricky. Watch it closely. Very important. If you don't watch this one trace through, you're going to miss the whole big picture, and it's important. Notice that the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, y'all understand that that is who? Satan. The devil. He's working in them. He's working in the unbeliever. The, belie- the unbeliever might not know it, but he is. He's working in them. Interesting. Same concept that talks about God's power working in us. The Spirit working in us is now talking, attributing the Spirit is working in the sons of disobedience. Working. But this is the past working. Now notice the next time it's mentioned. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9 it says, Not as a result of works. Okay, my salvation is not as a result of works. Wait, works? Why not? Isn't it a work? Yes, it's a work. But it's not my work. Very crucial. It's not my work. It's God's work. Which is what? He created us. He created us in Christ Jesus. He worked. But then it's funny because we are created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. What? Beautiful transition here. You see the transformation is amazing. We go from working, being led by Satan, his working in us, right? And us following after the lust of our flesh. And by... Then God does a great work and saves us, delivers us from the power and penalty of sin. And He saves us not based on our works, not based on me changing my heart, not based on me birthing myself anew, but by His work. I just trust His grace. I trust in His work in me. And He did the work. So He gets all the credit. And then He ordains for me to do what? To do good works. Because why? His power is working in me now. And through me. 
Very important that you understand that. If you didn't get that, record it. Go back and listen to it again. You've got to see the transition. Important. Notice also another one. In your trespasses and sins. In the lusts of your flesh. This was the realm that we lived in. And this is what we were controlled by. The unbeliever before salvation is what? Controlled by sin. By trespasses. By their lustful desires. The unconverted is controlled by sin. But now, because of God's work, we're now in a new realm. And what is that new realm? In Christ Jesus. Right? It says, seated us with Him in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. We have a new realm. God is reality. He is working within us. And He's producing change and transformation. We are alive. And He created us in Christ Jesus. So very important. Can you be a believer and live in bondage to sin? I would say no. You can't. God transforms us. Now, does that mean that you don't sin? No, you still sin. And we'll talk about that later. But I want you to understand something. This is a reality. This is an objective truth. If you are a believer, if God has worked in your heart, He's worked in your heart. You are really changed. And God's power is at work in you. You're still in the body of death, waiting on final glorification. But He's giving you all you need for life and godliness through a true knowledge of Him. And His power is at work in you. This is a truth. This is a fact. We are no longer dead in trespasses and sins. Also notice the time of the passage is mentioned. Throughout this passage, formerly walked, formerly lived. Okay, what's that? That means pastime. This is what unbelievers do, and this is what I used to do before God transformed my heart. I formerly walked. I formerly lived. But now I have been saved. I have been saved. You could translate this. You have been and are saved. It's a present reality. So that He might display in the ages to come His glory and grace. We'll see this. Listen, beloved. If we say... People can have a faith that does not result in good works. Listen closely. If we say a person can believe that does not result in good works through faith alone, I'm not saying by their own good works. If we say that we can be saved without good works, we basically are saying God's grace is insufficient. There's a movement out that says the free grace movement, that says in its essence that you, you, can, you, don't, have to, you don't have to pursue holiness. You don't have to. You, you, you can't do it anyway because you're just totally lost. You're totally depraved. Well, beloved, there's a problem with that. The transformation 
and the transforming power of God says the opposite. It's not that I can do it. I admit that. But by grace, through faith in His power, I can walk and enjoy God. And you can too. You can worship Him. If you are born again and God is working, His grace is on display in this age and the ages to come. I know it. It's a fact. Is it perfection? No. It's not. Not as long as I'm in this body of death. But by grace, through faith, continuous repentance and turning to Him and trusting in Him, His power works through me. That's the point of this passage. That's the whole glory of this passage. This is the power you need to know that's available to you. You need to know this. If you don't know this, you're going to walk in misery. You're going, to, you're going to constantly be ashamed of all that you've done and all that you're doing, and you're going to say, I can't do this. Now, you say, wait a second. Aren't we supposed to say, I can't do this? Yes, but I can't do this, but He can. Faith. I trust Him to work in me. That's why he's saying all this. Why would Paul say in chapters 4 through 6 and give all these commands to walk in unless the power was already available for us to walk in Him? But you must know salvation. You must get biblical salvation. You must understand. By the way, is it lordship salvation? I would argue it's just salvation. Why do we have to name it lordship salvation? It's called being saved. You're delivered from the power and penalty of sin. That's what this passage is talking about. There's hope in this. We should skip out of this place today. Way to go God, right? He's at work in sinners like us. And notice, we were dead. We were dead. But He made us alive in Christ, with Christ. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Did Jesus rise from the dead? That's an easy question. Everybody in the room should say yes. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Are you sure of it? You believe that? You know God's power is in control and did it, right? His resurrection is linked to your salvation. We who are born again have been raised with Him. If we say, I'm just, I can't, I'm just a total wretch all the time, I'm just horrible, I, 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 I can't. Can't walk with God. I can't enjoy God. Then either you're not saved, you have not been born again, or you're denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What? Are we spiritually alive or not? Yes, if we're believers. Yes. This is good news. This is great news. 
I need to know this. How about you? So obviously this passage is an explanation of the great transforming work of God and the salvation of sinners, right? Who we were before God is transformed by the loving God that worked in us and made us alive. And who we are now is a gracious display, a display of God's grace and kindness to the world. That's why Christians should stand out. We should be like giant lights in this world. Why? Because God's grace is working through us. His power is on display in us. This is the point of the passage. You get the big picture, right? So let's walk down through it. Real simple. The outline is this. It goes, our former dead condition, one through three. Our former, former dead condition, two, one to three. Our new transformed alive condition, verses four to six. Our new transformed alive condition, verses four to six. And then finally, in verses 7 to 10, we'll probably get to this next week, the purpose of our transformation by God. The purpose for our transformation by God in verses 7 to 10. Now, I want you all to understand something very important. That when Paul is writing this, he's writing with a perspective in mind, a view in mind. The view is the Godward view. It's how God views salvation. And how God, God's work in salvation is the primary focus. Especially verses 1 to 7. It's God's work in saving people. Okay? Why is this important? Well, because when you look back at your testimony, often when you talk about your testimony, you talk about what you went through. It's your perspective on it. And you will say things like, well, I was living for myself, and I heard the gospel, and I turned from my sin, and I trusted in Christ, and I believed in Him. And then, I knew that Christ died for me, and that He loves me, and I knew then that I wanted to live for Him. And I believed in Him, and I, I trusted Him, and I pursued Him, and I wanted the Word, and I wanted to love people, and I wanted to learn about others and serve others and tell other people about Jesus. That's the human perspective. You're looking at what happened in your life. Okay? So when you see repentance and faith or, or your change or your turn, you're saying, this is what I went through. This is what I did. I turned from sin. I trusted in Him. So this is the perspective. But Paul's talking about God's perspective. He's explaining what happened to you. Who you were and what God did. And now what God is doing. Do you understand? So when you describe it as repentance and faith, you might even begin to think, well, it was me that turned. It was all about what I did. I believed. I knew it was true, so I turned from sin and I believed. But Paul's explaining what happened within you and why you believed. Why you turned. He's explaining why you now want to pursue God. He's explaining why you do good works. He's ultimately saying why, what is the power that made this big change? Do you understand? So this passage is all about knowing that God is the Savior. 
It's by His grace that He saved us. That's the point of the passage. It's the Godward perspective to salvation. God's view of your deliverance. Does everybody understand that? See if got some nods there. Okay, good. Good. So let's go with the proposition of this whole passage. What is it? The passage reveals the transforming power of God in Christ Jesus as revealed in the salvation of sinners by God's grace in kindness and love. It's the transforming power of God in Christ Jesus as revealed in the salvation of sinners by God's grace in kindness and love. Does everybody understand this? Okay, that's the overview of the passage. So let's walk down through it. You ready? You say, Mike, you did a whole bunch of background on the passage. Why did you do it that way? Because I want you to see the big picture, right? And then as we walk down through it, it'll be real easy. You'll see it. Just boom, boom, boom. All right, let's do it first. Our former dead condition. Our former dead condition. Notice, read with me. You can see, just follow along in your Bibles. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were... By nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. All right, so in this little passage, in this section 1 to 3, we see a very clear description of the total depravity of humanity. If you look out at the world, you watch the news, you say, why is the world so bad? Answer, 2, 1 to 3. That explains it right there. Okay? That explains why the world is as bad as it is. But it also explains who we are, or were rather, before God's transforming power. So, when we look out at the world and we see that they're evil, what do we say? Well, I was just like you. I'm no different than you. This is who we were, right? Every one of us. So, it's very concise. It's a... Complete, clear description of total depravity. You're not going to get out of this room today without embracing that doctrine because it is truth. You can't get away from it. This passage says it. We are all born totally depraved. Are we as bad as we could be? No, we're not as bad as we could be. Why? That's called common grace. God protects us from doing as bad as we could. But the reality is, is that our hearts are what? And he describes it. Dead. Dead. What does dead mean? I'll give you a hint. Dead. (laughs) Dead. Dead is dead. You say, well, Mike, if I were dead previously, if I were dead previously, wouldn't I still be dead now? No. Not if God made you alive. And again, this is this talking, is this talking literally that you're physically dead? No. It's talking about your spiritual condition, your heart condition, your heart condition formerly before you were born again, before God worked through the gospel to convert you, you were dead spiritually. You were unable 
to love and serve the God who made you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, is what it says. And it starts with that overview. That overview is in verses in verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is a state of spiritual death, separated from God, physically alive, but dead men walking, dead ladies walking. This is an inability to do anything that glorifies and honors the Creator that made you. You say, well, I remember when I was a little kid that I used to occasionally obey my daddy or mommy and they would look at me and say, good job, son. Wasn't that a good deed? Answer, no, because you weren't doing it to glorify and honor and enjoy God. You weren't doing it with a heart that was converted, that loves God. You were doing it out of the purpose of getting what? Human affirmation and praise. You did it, so you didn't get a spanking maybe. But you didn't do it because God loved you and because your heart had been converted. Does everybody understand this? This doesn't mean, again, as we are as bad as we could be before we're saved. Because we can have neighbors that are kind neighbors, right? But they're still spiritually dead if they have not been born again. It doesn't come from a heart that's been converted. We are born with a conscience. Even born with an awareness of God, but we suppress that, right? And we know what is right and wrong to a degree because of the conscience God gives us. Right? But ultimately, we're dead in our sin. Notice the next, this condition is further talked about. It says, the condition is how the believer used to walk. Walking is just another word, again, for living. So before we're born again, before God converts us, we, are, we live in our dead condition. We live in the realm of sin. And our lives are dictated by three main primary things. Three main sources that dictate who we are and what we do in our lost condition previously. They are according to the age or course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and in the lust of our flesh. Those are the things that dictate who we are and what we're about before we're born again. Now, I want you to hear me. Listen closely. That means that everything we do in our lives before we're born again is what? The world's influence, Satan's control, and our lustful, sinful desires. Those are the things that control what we do. I don't know about you. But this is a horrific condition, isn't it? Have you all noticed, I don't know about you guys, but as I look at our, 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 our world and, and, and everything that's happening in our world, at, at times I feel like I'm shocked. It, it seems like almost weekly I'm shocked by a new level of evil that comes out. Anybody? It's like, man, I cannot believe. How do you come up with this stuff that people are doing? Where, where does this come from? What have I forgotten? The dead condition of the human soul. The dead condition of the human soul is controlled by Satan. Do you know who is a really good inventor of evil? Satan. 
He's evil always. He's really good at getting people to do evil. And the world, the world's influence is constantly producing evil in the lives of unbelievers. It's, it's inevitable because of the lost condition of the soul. It's going to happen. Don't be shocked anymore. Realize this is exactly what Scripture says people will do. They will turn, they will twist, they will distort the truth, and they will do evil. This is what the world does. It's a horrific condition. It's a desperate condition. It's a lost condition. It's a sad state, isn't it? Again, we might do outward good things, but the motive of our heart is not God's divine love grace or power. It's not faith in Him that produces the actions we do before we're saved. Do you hear me? It's not faith in Him that produces the good deeds, quote-unquote good deeds, before we're saved. If it was real faith in Him, it would be what? You'd be saved. You'd be alive. And you would be producing the good works because it was trusting in Him that did it. Not yourself. So-called good deeds are ultimately just self-righteous attempts to make ourselves look good for the world, according to the course of this world. We do things to please parents, friends, co-workers. We are what? Born men-pleasers, aren't we? That's what we do. But the good deeds that we do are not good deeds because they don't come from a converted heart and they're not through faith in God. They're actually, as Paul calls them, filthy rags. Our lives are actually satanically led, world-emphasized, and lust-driven pursuits. That's who we were. The amazing thing about this whole thing is is that when we're dead in our sin, I want you to think about this, when we're dead in our sin, we don't think we're dead. We actually think we're alive. We think we're actually pretty good. You ask any unbeliever, are you an evil, wicked person? They will say, no, I'm not an evil, wicked person. Come on. Do you follow Satan? How many unbelievers that you asked do you did you know that satan is your lord how many of you think how many of these unbelievers would go oh yeah satan's my lord now i'm not talking about those devil worshiper guys the vast majority of people don't right that's the deception of satan he's their god and they don't even know it muslims Many, many Roman Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses. Satan is their God. That's scary, isn't it? Everybody 
in this world is on the brink of disaster. The way Jonathan Edwards called it and described it, it was like the, the spider hanging over hell, over a flaming fire, just waiting for that thread, that web to break and for the spider to fall into the flaming fire. You say, well, sinners in the hands of an angry God, that's a pretty hard sermon to refer to. Look at this passage, verse 3. We were, by nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. We were all in a condition where at any moment, if we would have died, we would have went where? Hell. We would have spent eternity separated from God. This, I don't know about you, but this makes me shudder, doesn't it? Does it make you Maybe there's somebody in here who's being alerted to your condition. You're like, I don't want to go to hell. I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. I know Jesus died for me. I want to live for Him. By the way, if you're saying that, I've got good news for you. You're already alive. If your heart condition and your commitment is to the Savior then guess what? You're saved. If you're believing in Christ Jesus to be the one that saves you from wrath and the judgment you deserve, and it's given you hope that He died for your sin and you believe that He died for you, your sin, guess what? You're alive! You might not have known it, but you are! <laughs> because... Only believers believe in Christ. Only regenerate believe in Christ. Only the saved believe in Christ. Do you understand this? Christ is our only hope. Everybody in the room, hopefully, is saying, Amen. I need Him. The good news is, is if you believe in Jesus that He died for you and receive Him as your Savior and Lord and you're trusting in Him, God has already done the great work in you. You're already past verse 4. You're already on the second part. You have a new condition. Now, some of us in the room might think, well, why are you affirming faith in people? <laughs> Beloved, listen to me. The only way you're going to walk in good deeds is if you believe that you're saved and believe that Christ died for you and rose from the dead. You must believe that. And if you believe that, guess what? You are alive. And it's the only way that that faith is the only way that God's going to produce the good works. Should we examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith? Yes. But... If you're denying that Jesus died for you and stopping believing to examine whether or not you're good enough, there's a problem. Because you're not good enough. You're not good enough, I promise. Believe in Him, not you. Trust Him. That's too easy. i got to just trust Him. 
Yes, you've got to believe Him. He gives life, not me. You are not going to make yourself alive. Does everybody get this? So if you believe, look what happens. Our new transform alive condition. Here it is. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places. Beloved, we are born evil. We are totally depraved. We are unworthy of His blessings and grace and kindness. We are worthy of His wrath and His judgment and deserving of it. But God. (laughs) Two of the finest words in the entire Bible, right? I was dead, but God. We were headed for hell, but God. We followed God's enemies, but God. We were obsessed with our lustful desires, but God. But God. We were totally unable to save ourselves, but God. Why did God exhort this? Exert this power to save sinners like me and you? Why does God act when sinners are dead in sin? Why is it that God displays His mighty strength to save evil, unworthy unworthy sinners like me and you? Why? Why? Being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. What great truth! In stark contrast to our horrific state, God's nature, His state is the exact opposite. We are evil and hate God. But God is loving and cares for us. Being rich in mercy. He is overwhelmingly rich in His compassion. God is full of pity for His lost sheep like us. He is rich in mercy. Even more, God's nature moved Him to step in to our lives and transform us and give us faith in Him. What a good God! Because of His great love with which He loved us. Oh dear friends, wicked sinners who have believed in Jesus are transformed not because we loved God, but because God loved us. God's love is great. He loves some of the worst sinners in all the world. I'm one of them. He was sacrificially committed to us, not because we were worthy of His love, not because we are something special. We are that, we are that spider hanging over hell. We deserve judgment. But God. What an amazing God. This is great news. God moves to save us because He loves us. And He loves us and He acted on His love. God's love is sacrificial commitment in action. It's not just a feeling. He took action 
Listen, if you are dead in your sins and you come to an awareness that Christ loved you and died for you and you want to live for Him, know this. Not only did Christ die for you and rise from the dead, God gave you that heart change. He made you alive to believe that. And so what does that mean? You should worship Him. Oh, I believe. It's because of you. (laughs) I'm saved. Why? Because of you. You're good. You love me. Otherwise, we would be where? Still dead in our sin. We who are committed to Jesus are committed to Jesus because Jesus loved us first. Remember, Paul says it. We were dead in our transgression. He brings it back up just to make sure you understand. We were dead, but He made us alive because of His grace and love. He made us alive. Notice what it doesn't say. We were dead in our transgressions, but we believed in God, and then He made us alive in Christ. It does not say that. Did you hear me? There are a lot of people that actually believe that. And that is a false truth. That is not, that is a false doctrine. That is not a truth. It's a lie. Listen closely. We were dead in our transgressions. But He made us alive. It doesn't say he, we were dead in our transgression, but I had a little bit of faith in me, and therefore now I'm alive. No, 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 no. Oh, friends, listen closely. You do not birth yourself anew. You can't. You cannot change your hearts. Just like a, a leopard cannot change its spots. A tiger cannot change its stripes. God does that. He's the all-powerful one. If you are alive, if you are believing in Jesus... You are loved by God, and He has acted in you. And it's all and only because God loves us. We'll stop here. Are you getting this? Are you all understanding? Why is this important? It is the love of God that we must understand in order for us to believe and obey Him. If you think much of yourself, you are going to fail at obedience. If you think much of God, you are going to have great victory because you will trust in Him and He will work through you to do good works. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Help us, Lord, to understand the power of God, of You, towards us in Christ. May we understand what it means to be made alive. May we understand that our faith is a result of your great power on display. That we may understand that Christ Jesus is Lord and he is sovereign over our hearts and over our lives. And that we may trust you, God, and therefore walk in obedience, enjoying you, knowing that your power is at work both to will and to do for your good pleasure. Work in us, God. We love you. We thank you. We trust you. 
We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.